Coming up, paralysis, finding opportunities in adversity, and even an incredible new breathing technique. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Military Millionaire Podcast. If you're new here, we help service members and veterans achieve financial freedom. We do this through free content on the podcast, the YouTube channel, the blog, and all of the other social medias like our incredible, dare I say, award-winning which is just bogus. There's no like awards for that Facebook group with over 63,000 actually probably by the time this comes out, 64,000 members pushing towards that financial freedom. Now for those looking to shortcut their journey to financial freedom, or just looking for an incredible military community to call the home and, and be involved in. We also have the war room mastermind, which I would encourage you to check out if you're serious about your goals. Now, if you're like me and everybody else, you've probably struggled with adversity at one point or another in life. In fact, as service members, we are certainly no strangers to adversity, but they don't always do a great job of telling you how to work through it. Resilience is a buzzword, and uh, some of us are better at it than others. Let's be real, right? Now, today's guest has faced some pretty gnarly adversity in his life. Imagine being so depressed that you want to kill yourself, but you can't not physically capable of doing so because you're completely paralyzed. Yeah. Talk about some adversity. Now that was our guest today, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Today you would never know that he had been completely paralyzed for months on end because he lives a full life living through the principle of octa non verba actions, not words. This episode will help you better prepare for handling adverse situations. And you're going to want to stick around for every single nugget. This does not disappoint. Marcus, welcome to the show, brother. How are you, man? I'm amazing. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for being a guest on my show as well. This is a uh... It was incredible getting to meet you in person and then hear your story and hear you speak. Um, we connected so quickly at the uh, in Los Angeles at Steve Sims events. So uh, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Yeah, I had a good time hanging out, speaking out there and uh, getting to know you and Ryan and a couple of the other guys and, uh, and girls. Um, always fun to interact with other people. And it's funny how we always, as veterans, uh, end up like circled around it's like oh <laughs> hey another one of us um yeah it is like that and like you said we had no clue and then all of a sudden we're kind of at the end of the table they're all kind of you know forming pulling security and uh having a good old time talking about life and it's like okay this made the whole trip worthwhile i mean speaking is obviously awesome but connecting with people um that have been through things people that are actually doing things that's that's why we do it yeah Absolutely. All right. I'm going to jump right in way down the road and then we'll come back and do backstory in a minute. And we're going to jump in. Uh, I'm going to ask you in a nutshell, like 50,000 foot overview. What is the gift of adversity? Man, gift of adversity. Adversity sucks when you're in it and it's impossible to see the gift until afterwards. But the real, real question that we should be asking ourselves is, it's not, should we be asking, why am I facing adversity? The question should be, what happens when I'm not? If I'm not mm -hmm. facing something that makes me better, it means I'm not pushing, I'm not improving, I'm not forcing my body to adapt, I'm not changing my business, I'm not leading into my relationships, I'm not having that hard conversation. So in my talk, I always say that adversity shows up unannounced at the most inopportune time without apology. It couldn't care less about what you want it doesn't give a damn about your feelings and adversity doesn't take no for an answer. It forces us to elevate to a higher level and never lets us do just enough to get by. It knows our true, our true capacity, even when we do not. 
And that's why adversity kicks your ass when you gave less than 100%. I like that's it. Kind that's kind of what it is. And as veterans, we know that to be true. Yeah, that's a really, really solid, strong uh, overview answer. Um, and obviously, you're no stranger to some unique adversities. Do you want to you want to kind of give a little bit of the backstory as far as your, uh, I guess, really just, you know, you were in the Army and, and, and bring us to present? Sure, absolutely. I, uh, I joined the military at 38 because I just gone through a divorce. And uh, my biggest male role model besides my father, my great uncle, who was in special forces in Vietnam, passed away. So I realized that wasn't what I wanted. I was going to chiropractic school. I was killing myself trying to do all that. And I was like, man, when I was at his funeral and they're doing the full, the full regalia, right? 21 gun salute, full bird colonel eulogizes him man after man going up, talking about his acts of valor, my great uncles. I was like, man, I've always wanted to do this. And I've always had an excuse not to join. And, um, when they start playing taps and they hand the folded flag to my great aunt and they say, thank you for your sacrifice. We're sorry for your loss. I just lose it. And that's when I was realizing, okay, if I'm going to try to join, I don't have a lot of time. And uh, when I looked online, they said that the age limit was 35, but if you could convince a recruiter, they give you a, they would sign a release to let you get in. They would give you that waiver. So I go talk to the recruiter and, um, tell my age. And he says, well, are you smart? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm talking to a recruiter at 38. Do I sound smart to you, Sergeant? <laughs> but what he meant was how would I do on an ASVAB replacement test and asked me why I wanted to do it. And, uh, I kind of told him what happened. Um, I was in chiropractic school. I have a degree in human biology. So the ASVAB, I did well on it. And then for an older guy, I did the mock PT test back in the day when it was push up, setups, and run. I was like, I can do this. And he was like, okay, you're in great shape. You're really intelligent. He's like, you're what the army wants. He says, I can sign a waiver. I can get you in right now. If that's what you want to do. I was like, let's do it. And he starts telling me about all these MOSs and all these things I can do in the military and the army. And I can choose whatever I want because of my placements. I was like, I already got it. Don't worry about it. And he said, what do you want to do? And I was like, infantry. And he laughs in my face, like not not even try to hold back, just laugh directly in my face. And I said, I want to follow my great uncle's footsteps. And he says, um, Anderson, you don't get it. You can do whatever you want in the military. And I said, Sergeant, you don't get it. This is what I want. If I don't get this, I'll walk on down the road and see what my path leads. Um, back and forth gives me good cop, bad cop. Finally, he signs a release. He's like, you know what? It's your life. We're going to MEPS tomorrow and they probably won't let your old ass through. They'll probably find something wrong with your broken ass. And I was like, okay, probably. <laughs> so um, I got inundated with the MEPS experience like we all did. 14 hours of hurry up and wait, debauchery. And I was like, here we go. Six months later, I'm getting yelled at at guys that are half my age with brown hats. And I'm competing against guys that are young enough to be my, my sons. But man, it's what I needed. Like when you're going to jump into something... Don't try to go at the little kiddie pool area. Just jump all the way fucking in because now you're here. You're committed. You don't have any other choice. And for me, it was like, I'm not going to wash out. I'm not going to get broken off and I'm not going to get, I'm not going to let myself quit because back in 2011, they were still very, um, it was still very challenging in infantry school. It yep. was still, they were still, there were no um, like cards where I could talk about the fact that I was stressed they were still trying to really break you off because they didn't want you to get somebody killed in combat. Um, got through that, got stationed at Fort Drum at Tiff Mountain, upstate New York. And in 2012, as I'm preparing to deploy to go to Afghanistan, I rupture a disc in my neck and it paralyzes me from the neck down. And uh, I die on the table twice when they're trying to save my life. And, um, when I wake up in the ICU, they say the good news is you get to live to tell the tale. The bad news is paralysis from the neck down is what you're left with. And uh, that was kind of the lowest point. Well, the beginning of the lowest point of my adversity. I thought that getting divorced and losing my great uncle was the big, you know, punch in the face. But man, it, uh, it really forced me to look at my life. And we all talk about like quarter life crises or midlife crises. But for me, it was just a big punch in the face that was like, 
Look at all the stuff you could have done. Look at all the shit that you were taking for granted. Look at all the stuff that you were saying, I'll do that tomorrow. So I could get a nap or binge on Netflix or something stupid like that. Um, I, in my, in my talk, I say, they, they say, you don't know what you got till it's gone, but that's not true. We know what we have, but we just assume that we will always have it. Hmm. We assume business will always be good. We assume our health will always be there. We assume that our family, that our, our spouse will always be there. And the reality is in this life, nothing is guaranteed. And if you go into this life thinking that you've got it all figured out, you're going to get ambushed by something. So that's why we have to look at adversity as opportunity. We have to say, what is this fucking teaching me that I couldn't have learned any other way? And lots of times we don't like the answer because it's hard and it's brutal. Adversity doesn't tell you who you are. It rips away all the bullshit that you're not. And when we look at the person that's beneath all of the facades and all the things we try to do to impress other people and we were there at that place, it's like, man, I don't like this person. This person's like imperfect. This person has warts. This person is not who I want to portray. But until you're down to that real rock bottom and know who the fuck you are, it's impossible for you to, to build anything sustainable after that. Yeah. I love it. You're your stories, you know, it, it's powerful, obviously, for anyone who's watching the video of this, he is, he, he beat paralysis, right? He can, he can, he can walk and talk and, and knife hand and all the good things, all the important <laughs> all the things. Not, the most um, important thing. But I'm sure, you know, while you were laying there, you're being told you just died twice, you're never going to walk again. Um, obviously, I would imagine there's some, some dark times or thoughts that kind of accompany that. Uh, curious, like, what got you to pull yourself out of the hole and, 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 or, uh, like you talked about opportunities in adversity, are there any exercises that you do now when you recognize adversity or that you walk people through that might help kind of, uh, cause it's one of those things that's like depression. It's like, you know, I think the answer to depression rudimentarily is, is fairly simple. Like go outside, find some really good people, go walk around in the sun and ta-da, you'll feel better. Um, yeah. that's not what anybody who's, currently feeling depressed wants to or will do on their own right. fruition <laughs> so it's, it's like you know when you're in adversity uh i guess just you know how would you coach someone kind of through finding somebody like looking for those opportunities yeah it's um man and and to address depression like i was so depressed like i was suicidal but i couldn't even act on it because i was paralyzed so we talk about the victim mentality. I was there. I was like, I can't even fucking kill myself. Like, this is what I want more than anything else in this life. And I can't even do that. So right. it forced me to really look and say, okay, if this is it, this is the reality. You have to be radically honest about that and accept it. And then say, okay, no bullshit. What am I going to do moving forward? Um, the real answer is I found genuine no bullshit gratitude. And the thing about gratitude is it's a big flowery world that p people talk about and they have their magical little journals that they, they, their gratitude about, and they, they write them down and they, they say how that they're grateful. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the reality is you're probably writing down real things that you're grateful for. Most people, when they're talking about being grateful, they're grateful about the shit that they have. I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my home and my properties. It's like, those are things you already have. What I'm asking is spend some time and say, what can you be grateful for in the hardship that you face? Because if you can do that, now you can be bulletproof. And no matter what happens, you can find gratitude. When you can be just as grateful for the person that gives you the finger in traffic as you are for closer to a multi-million dollar deal. Yeah, now no matter what happens, you're good. And for me, the real gratitude was this. For four months, I was in the bed trying to figure out what, and, and I went through all of it, right? I was like, I'm a good person. Why did God or the universe do this to me? This is bullshit. Like I'm doing this all for the right reasons. There's all these people that are screwing people over and all these politicians and white collar criminals that are taking advantage of the, the people that are less fortunate. Why are they getting away with murder? And why am I sitting here? Cause I'm trying to do the right thing. And here's what you have to understand. Adversity has no fucking meaning other than the meaning that you assign it, period. It doesn't care about what you want. 
It doesn't care if your life is fair. It doesn't care if what happened to you is justified or not. It doesn't matter. You have to decide what am I going to make this mean? So for four months, I sat there and said, well, what can I find? What, what opportunities am I looking for? I've done martial arts since I was 11. So there's always philosophy built into that. So when you get punched in your face, you were like, oh, thank you. Because you taught me I was dropping my hand, right? If yes. you get flipped or if you get submitted, it's like, thank you. Cause you showed me that I was open, right? For me, I was still trying to find something. And when I was being radically honest, I couldn't find anything they'd be grateful for. What I did find, we were getting ready to go to Afghanistan, right? And I'd just been given a team. So I believe that this injury would have happened no matter where I was on the continent or in the world. So if we'd been in a hot zone on patrol and I ruptured my disc and we're out there outside the wire, now that means my team has to cover down because you know as for every one man that's put that's injured, it takes two to pull him to safety. Mm-hmm. Another team, another squad would have had to cover down. They would have sent in a like a Chinook to come get me into a hot zone, which are, as we know, are pretty big targets, right? Yeah. So for me, I was like, man, I'm just grateful that not that I'm injured, but that nobody else was hurt. And that was the beginning because gratitude to me is this idea that I can be happy for something that happened that does not benefit me. Like when you win, it makes me happy. I'm grateful that you're winning, even though it has no direct effect on me. Right. Yeah. And that's because I care about you. That's because I give a shit. And this is what happens with reciprocity. This is what happens with real gratitude. And soon I became grateful for, because that was the beginning. That was the cornerstone. I became grateful for the bed that I may never get out of. I was grateful for the people that put up with me as a patient because I wasn't nice. (laughs) Right. And that was the beginning. And after a few weeks of genuine, no bullshit gratitude, I started getting a little bit of feeling back in my left hand. And it wasn't much, but man, when you've been paralyzed and you just have a little bit of something, that is what gives you the thing that you need the most, which is hope. Yeah. Man, that's, uh, it's intense. So, so, you know, uh, talking through this, right. Um, lots of service members, um, Mm -hmm. struggle, uh, myself included with when they leave the military, right. They lose their identity or their purpose or their identity was too wrapped up in being a service member. Um, now I can only imagine that being faced with paralysis in the face of this, uh, doesn't make that any easier. Um, how'd you go about finding, I mean, you've got a really cool mission now. Curious how you kind of went around finding your purpose and, or like, you know, tying it back to that other service member who's about to go through, like, how, how do you help people, you know, work towards their purpose or how, how did you get there? You you know where I'm going with that. Yeah, I absolutely do. And, and you're right. Like it took me a year and a half, almost two years of physical and occupational therapy to be medically retired and released because to make sure that I could actually take care of myself. But that's when the hard part was right. The transition out. Now it's like, okay. And for me, I had this huge life changing event happen. This, this is significant, right? but what do I do with it? So I still have neuropathy in my hands and my feet. So I couldn't go back to chiropractic school. And it was like, this is too big for me to just act like it didn't happen. But what do I do? I, and Robert green in his book mastery, he said, when you don't know where to go, go back to the beginning. So for a lot of us, there is a love. There is something that a first love, like a sport or like playing the guitar. And that first love for me was martial arts. And for a while, like just trying to hold a blade, like I, it was hard for me to do that or to press the trigger on a weapon. I couldn't do that. But getting back into those martial warlike arts gave me the capacity to slowly build. And I've already had black belts in multiple certifications. I'm an instructor under Bruce Lee's protege, Gruden and Osanto, for example. And all of those lessons kept dovetailing into this idea of the more you do this, the more you're going to help people. I started, I went back to teaching martial arts. I got private students. One of my private students became one of my first executive coach coaching clients because I didn't know how valuable what I was teaching him was until he told me, he's like, you're giving me more value than my executive coach. He fired that guy, wrote me a check and I was blown away. I was like, you pay this people this kind of money. He's like, you're changing the way I do business. So yeah, it's worth it. That led to other clients that led to my first speaking event that led to multiple speaking events that led to 
a woman, an older woman reading me the riot act. She's like, I want to buy your book. And I'm like, ma'am, I don't have a book. And she had a, do- a granddaughter that was going through a divorce. And she's like, how can you have a story like this and be irresponsible and not have a book to help other people? Because if she, if you gave me the, your book, I could give it to her and you could help her. And that's when it's like, all right. So when you're transitioning out, sometimes you're going to feel lost on your path, but listen to me, feeling lost on your path is part of your path. This is where we get in. And I I'll ask you, it's like, ask yourself the big, hard questions. What do you believe in? Like, really like these sound simple, but man, when you get into them, they're deep. What are you willing to die for? And then what are you willing to build your life around living for these things? How does that look for you? What is the thing that you're excited about? Lots of times it's a, like a Ving diagram where you say, I have the interest in this. I have expertise in this. And I have, um, you know, in- excitement about this and you combine them. And now all of a sudden you have this overlap that creates from the military to, to millionaire, right? It creates what you're doing. They charge you like, I'm just trying to help people. I'm taking this knowledge that I acquired I'm giving it to other people. All of a sudden it's like, oh, there's this thing called Facebook. Oh, there's this thing called masterminds. There's this thing called podcasts. And now we can do it at scale authentically without lying, without bullshitting people. And does it take time? Of course, but I would much rather do it the way that we're doing it, which is slow, steady, authentic, real, as opposed to having a bunch of just manicured fake bullshit that you know makes you money fast. But then how do you sleep at night knowing that people are being victimized by the product that you're creating in the process. So the three questions that I ask people when I keynote are, if you woke up tomorrow paralyzed from the neck down, what do you wish you would have accomplished with your life? What regrets would you harbor? And then if by some miracle you were able to walk again, how would you begin to live your life differently with a second chance? And I'm not saying the bullshit answer of, well, I wish I would recover. I get that. That's what I wish too. But if you didn't, what would you want? What would be important to you? Because when it's taken away from us, only then do we appreciate what we have. Hmm. Deprivation breeds appreciation. So you have to get into that place and say, what does that look like for me? And it's not going to be simple. It's not going to be like a simple equation. X plus Y equals this. It's going to take time. But the fact that you're even aware of that possibility And in today's day and age, you don't have to use the GI Bill to go to college. You can figure out what you want to do. You can listen to what you learn on this podcast every day. You can go to the groups. You can learn from David. You can buy his books. You can do all these things, and it will take you step by step on what needs to be done for you. But here's the big thing. Oxen on verb, but we're military guys, right? Actions, not words. Don't just acquire information. Don't just go to a, a mastermind. Don't just get the material. Don't just get the book. Start putting that shit into play. It doesn't do any good how much you know if you're not actually executing against it. You can't close your first property until you actually start to do the work. Hmm. Bruce Lee said, knowing is not enough, we must apply. Willing is not enough, we must do. So for all these people, even when we talk about, like you said, depression, right? Motion creates emotion. So again, act, get up, do something. Because what are you doing? You're taking your power back. If you feel like you don't have power, especially when you get out, taking action takes your power back. And now you can take that anywhere that you want to go. But if you're just sitting around waiting for the world to give you something or feel entitled because you're a veteran, man, if you're listening to us and you're a veteran, you're my brother or my sister. But we know that we did this because we wanted to do it. Nobody owes you anything. Now it's up to you. What are you going to do with this opportunity? What are you going to do? You got through this thing. You had this experience. What do you want to do moving forward? Love that's, it. that's, that's what I would say. And you know, so, okay. So <laughs> I gotta, I gotta ask here because yes. it, it's ironic to me. So your, your name is literally Marcus Aurelius Anderson and you sound very much like you've dug deep into the Stoics. So I'm curious yeah. if you were a Stoic before all this or because of all this or how all that, uh, or, or if I'm way off the mark there, but it sounds like you're pretty pretty into the Stoicism world. It's, it's definitely there. Um, so I was born on my grandfather's birthday. My father calls my grandfather, his father up and says, hey, 
happy birthday, dad, by the way, got you a grandson. He said, my birthday gift to you is I want you to name him. My grandfather, who to my knowledge, didn't read any Marcus Aurelius or even read meditations or Epictetus or anybody, right? But he says, you need to give him a strong name because my grandfather at that time knew that he was dying. My dad didn't know. Nobody else in the family knew, but he knew. And he knew there was a very good chance that he would not get to meet me or give me a lot of time. So almost like the boy named Sue, he wanted to give me a name that would carry on to give me this standard to live by. But when you're an eight-year-old boy and you're being introduced to people as Marcus Aurelius and you see this adult that has like recognition on their face, it's like, how do they know who I am? And then I start reading about who Marcus Aurelius is and I didn't understand what an emperor was. I knew what a king was. I'm like, I'm not a king. Tried to read meditations when I was 11. It goes over my head, right? I'm just like, what the hell? It's like, the, the, thou, that, and then he's, he's, you know, from my father, I learned this. And from this person, I learned this. And I was like, am I supposed to know who these people are? I have no clue who these people are. So I throw the book down in disgust and I'm like, so I'm named after a guy that I hate and I came and read his writing. My life sucks. So I started just going by Mark because Marcus had too much gravity to go into the whole Aurelius component. But that led me to Taoism, Stoicism, Zen, those were my gateways to start to understand how important this name was. And then it led me into this understanding of, Oh, my grandfather was doing this because he knew that life was going to be hard. He knew that I needed something to be resilient about. And so now after all the hardships, Stoicism, Zen and Taoism were the philosophies that kept me alive in that bed. The writings of Stephen Pressfield and Robert Greene, those were the writings that kept me alive. And those are the men that I've actually been able to have on my podcast now. That's but that would have never have happened had I not done the deep dive, had I not wrestled with mortality, had I not actually been honest and said, no bullshit, how am I responsible? What have I been taking for granted? And so now I just live my life moving forward every day with that idea of, man, in the back of my head, I could be there. I could be back in that bed in a heartbeat. So if this is all the time that I have left, what am I going to do with it? So yeah, stoicism is big. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love stoicism. I've got, uh, um, I, I, I didn't read it this year. I need to, I'll probably bust it back out next year, but I did the, the daily stoic, you know, Ryan holiday mm -hmm. all of last year. Um, and I think the year before, and then, uh, yeah, meditations is, uh, I need to just buy the physical copy and read through it. Cause I, I yeah. audio booked it and it was, uh, it's, it's intense rough. on audio. Yeah. 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 Okay. You got to sit through this. You got to meditate on it. It's ironic. Literally, literally have to meditate on it. Indeed. Yeah. It's a good book. All right. So got a couple of the questions on here that I, uh, you know, things, various things that I pulled off your, your website, right. When I was doing a little, a little digging, cause I was like, oh, what is that? Or that's cool. Um, obviously we already talked about a decent amount of some of the stuff. So I'm trying to skip through, but, um, I was curious, and this has nothing to do with what we've been talking about, and then we'll probably go back. You mentioned recovery practices to increase vagal tone and heart rate variability. Uh, mm -hmm. I had no idea what either of those things were, and rather than research them, I thought I'd just ask you. And then I'm curious. I like I like learning new, you know, uh, especially with like heart rate and breathing and stuff like that. I love that kind of stuff. So I wasn't sure what they were, and I figured I'd just ask. Yeah. So the the vagal tone and the heart rate variability are key as uh, athletes when we were in the military. If you're doing a ruck or if you're going up a mountain, you, you have to have those things. The, the big thing that I talk about, because when I coach executives or CEOs or co-founders or even their teams, lots of times. So here's what happens. You and I have been trained to do hand-to-hand -hand combat. We've been trained for combat. We understand what a real threat looks like. We understand body language. We understand intent. Most people in the world will never be in a fight. Most people in the world cannot even recognize when they're in danger, but what they end up doing is they still have a lot of higher elevated blood pressure or tension because of an email or the phone ringing or this person in traffic that's not paying attention to the light and they're blaring on their horn. So what they end up getting is this unnecessarily highly elevated blood pressure all the time. They're in the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight. Vagal tone, the vagus nerve goes between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Parasympathetic is the one that relaxes you. 
So to keep it simple, you can do some breathing. And most people have heard of the, the box breathing. You breathe for four seconds up, four seconds across, you hold, four seconds down, you breathe out, and then four seconds down to finish the box, you, you hold that again. That's fine, but lots of times in a pinch, we don't have the luxury of doing four minutes of breathing. So one that I can give your listeners right now is just called parachute breathing. And you do three of these breaths and it takes you from the parasympathetic fight or flight kind of place into the more relaxed place. And the parachute component means we just imagine that we're floating on a parachute almost. So the, the breath looks like this. I breathe in through my nose quickly. And then I breathe out with a long exhalation through my mouth. You do it again. One more time after the third breath, it takes you from this place of being pissed off, takes you from this place of being aggravated. It recalibrates that big old tone. And sometimes if you're getting ready to go into a tough meeting and you've driven there, maybe lock your door, make sure you're in a safe place in your vehicle and do this, do three of those parachute breaths. Maybe before you get on a zoom call, you put the, turn the camera off, you put on mute, you get three of those breaths. Maybe at the end of the day, before you're going to sleep, you get three of those breaths. It's a good way to have the day architecture that sets you up to win because that book ends and tells your body, listen, when I breathe like this and I go into this place, I can relax. I'm safe. I don't have to be a warrior right now. It's time for me to, to actually rest and recover. And that can be done in a pinch. Um, again, anytime somebody's in a, a hard place, I ask my people to do it in the morning as soon as they wake up because it only takes a minute. Everybody has a minute. Everybody's busy, but even if we do this four times a day, that's only four minutes. I think we can get it done. I have them do it in the afternoon if they can after lunch, anytime that they're stressed, and then at the end of the day, right before they go to bed, after they brush their teeth. And that way they anchor it to something, and that way it becomes part of a habit. It doesn't take any special equipment. You don't have to have a magical timer or music or buy an app to do it. It's like, just fucking do it. And you can go from that place of being fearful into that place of we don't always get to a place of like complete like rest, but the idea is to get to back to this place of being neutral. Now I don't have like this anxiety ridden hormonal cascade that catastrophizes everything. And now everything in my life is going to suck. And it also helps bring us down whenever we've had a big win. And now we're like, dude, I can fucking do anything. And now we start making bad decisions based on that optimism. Don't, don't get too high. Don't get too low. Just come back to neutral and be very honest about where you are. That it helps you step back, pause, and make the right decisions. Yeah. Breathing is, it's funny, right? It is something you do all the time. Whether you like it or not, you don't even know you're doing it. And yet, when you focus on it, and you do some various breath work drills, it is amazing the things that you can change with it. I mean, we so I had, in within the War Room Mastermind, I had a guy come... Uh, I believe James Stewart was his name and he, he was a, uh, he's a breath coach and he yeah. came and he spoke to the group and we, we talked, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes about it. And then we did drills for like 30 minutes. Mm. And it's, it's interesting because it's like, okay, now we're going to run you through some breath work to get you hyped. Now we're going to run, run you through some breath work to calm you down and run you through. And so, you know, when I'm sitting in the, the cold plunge, I do, various different mm -hmm. types of breathing and that's kind of meditation, right. but I, I hadn't done the parachute breathing before. So I'm 100% going to try that because one of the things I used to do when I was in the Marine Corps, um, you can't Google anything or you can't do anything. It seems on a government computer, but you can do the, like, have you ever seen the Google like 30 second or 60 second, like breath thing? You can I have Google it. Uh, I think it's literally called like, I mean, honestly, if you just type in like, Google breathing exercise or something like that, mm -hmm. but it's like 30 seconds or 60 seconds. And it's just like this blue dot that pops up on the top of Google and it's like, it gets bigger and then it gets smaller and it says, breathe in, breathe out. And I used to just do that at work every now and then if I was getting like really frustrated at something, I'd... Mm -hmm. and it, it's amazing what just stopping and focusing on that for a second will do. Um, it, it changes everything. And we, and we talk about me when I was paralyzed, right? I couldn't even control my mind because I was so pissed off and what's going to happen. And, and we know the military I'm siloed. I'm asking them, when do I get out? What happens next? I'm, I'm getting movement back on my hands. Now what they're like, we don't know. 
And then the next day I ask again, so what's going on? Do I get physical therapy now? Oh, we're not sure. So for months at a time, you're getting that. The only thing that I could control in that bed was my breathing. And when I went from sympathetic to parasympathetic and could calm down, it allowed me to accept what was going on, not fight against it, not be pissed off. And that, in my opinion, was something that had to happen in order for me to be able to begin the recovery process. Yeah. So it can save your life, man. Yeah, it's huge. Absolutely huge. So okay, in your book, Gift of Adversity, you discuss the concept of Spartan discipline. And I'm kind of curious, just, you know, how you would say, uh, recommend like service members and vets use this to uh, overcome adversity um, you know, during military service or whatever. Uh, just I like digging into stuff like that. So I'd love to hear your, your take on that concept and, and how you would recommend people use it when they're going through stuff. Yeah, I mean, you and I and Ryan were talking about it, how stoicism is very much a natural evolution from the military. But if you think of stoicism, it's literally the physical embodiment of what the Spartans were doing. Minimalism, simplicity, being very resilient, being like consistent, having honor, having respect, doing something because it's the correct thing to do, not because it's simple or it's easy. That's the idea. And in today's society, especially now, if you own a business, if you're creating anything, it's very, it's much easier to win than it ever has been simply because most companies want to be efficient, which means they're not going to take the time to be patient. They're not going to do something because it's the right thing to do. Mm. They're going to do all these shortcuts. And we talked about AI, right? The same thing. AI removes that human component, but even now people want that human connection even more. And the Spartans were very much about knowing what this person's about. You can learn more about a man by sparring with him for 30 seconds than you can by having a conversation with him because that tells you everything about him. And that's very much what their culture was. It was a warrior culture and that was built into who they are and what they do. So they physically embodied the stoic principles, all the ethos, all the virtues, everything that people talk about. The thing is, and you and I know this, it's very easy to talk about it. It's hard to execute on it. And even when you execute on it beautifully for the day and you're reflecting, you go, man, today I got my diet in check. I got a great workout, had some quality time with people, crush it at business. Good. Do it tomorrow. You just prove to yourself that you can do it. You just prove to yourself you can stay consistent if you can have that courage in the face of adversity because the way you conduct yourself in the face of adversity is an indication of how you will do every fucking thing else in your life. Hmm. So if you can stay present when it's hard, you will win. If you allow yourself to fall back, and we do occasionally, be honest with where you're at and now lean back in. The Spartans don't ask how many are the enemy. They ask where are they? And that's what you should be doing. Where's the adversity? Seek it out. Every day I'm, I'm trying to go out and seek it because that's what makes me better. And even micro adversities, even small ones, diet, exercise, getting up, turning off the, the TV early, not scrolling on social media needlessly for hours on end. These small disciplines add up. They create momentum. And those momentum, that momentum will actually carry you, especially on the days when things are not always going perfectly because it never goes perfectly. No, no, it never goes perfectly. I like it. I think that's, that's good. Yeah. I like, I, I appreciate you. All right. We're going to roll into the five questions on this new okay. segment that I call the debrief. And eventually I need to come up with like some cool sound thing. That's like debrief, debrief, AAR. Here we go. <laughs> I thought about naming it the AAR actually, cause I thought that'd be funny. Um, also when you said, uh, Good earlier. All I thought was Jocko. Jocko. Like, yep. Good. Yep. That's good. That's it. <laughs> that's All right. So from question number one, right. And we actually spent some time here trying to dig like a mindset question out of the Facebook group. But you know, it's one of those things that people don't seem to, it's not like a publicly asked question very often where it's like, ah, where's my mindset struggling on this? You almost need someone to kick you and point it out to you. So couldn't find anything that really resonated. So we're going to ask you a completely off the cusp question because this is, the only like not real estate related one. This actually made me chuckle when I found it right when we were looking. So this is from Keyshawn Deontay Whitfield. And 
The question is, just got my LLC approved, opened my Chase business account. Any recommendations on a good business credit card? Uh, there's a million different directions I use. Uh, you and I talked about it. I just use the, the Amex. Yeah. Uh, I like that one. Um, you and I were joking how that because it's heavy, you don't want to use it whenever you're doing a entrepreneur roulette to put it at the bottom of the, uh, because okay. it's going to be the first one they pick up. We but, have never yeah. talked about credit card roulette on the show before. You gotta, you gotta let oh. the people know okay. this is a yeah. go abundance. I, I don't know if you've ever been in go abundance or, or been around those guys, but, uh, there's actually a post right now on Facebook in the GoBundance group. I wouldn't say it's going viral, but it's got, it's got over 80 comments on it because somebody was like, basically said something like, ah, oh, you know, this game might be a little, uh, like we're notorious. We go out to like these big meetups or whatever, and their dudes will have like two, $3,000 bills and play this game because it's like 10 guys, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, the post was kind of like, maybe this isn't, necessarily the best game all the time like you should confirm everyone at the table can play whatever and everybody just lit it up they're like this is the best thing ever i love paying um you know if someone really can't we'll help it out so i'd love for you to just kind of this is the greatest game ever and yes never use your amex for this game yeah because i lost and learned the hard way rookie move but (laughs) i uh yeah the first time i did it um and like you said if you're at a table of guys you you imagine everybody can, but if they can, it's not a big deal. I'm the same guy, kind of like what you you were saying. Like I'm the guy that likes to sneak away from the table, act like I'm going to the bathroom, and then just hand my card to the to the yeah. servant and say, "Hey, just do this. You know, make sure they're not screwing me on the tip. Take care of them." And then when everybody comes back, it's like, "Hey, he's taking care of," it, and then you just kind of leave. But I, I have seen the the roulette component where it it doesn't always work out well. And now that person's embarrassed or that person feels bad if the car's not taken or it's declined or whatever it is. So, but it, it's very much kind of that rite of passage in my opinion. And just like you said, you, it only takes one time to use that heavy car to be like, yeah, this is not probably not the best option. Maybe. Um, and I have another, um, another one. It's an, an ink credit card from visa, which is, you know, incorporated, which is fine. And you can get some mileage out of it, I guess, like literally miles from it, which is fine. It's always good to have multiple forms of credit, but um, that's one that I use. With the Amex, be careful because it gives you an unlimited limit. Like you can buy whatever you want with it, but if you're not able to keep up where you need to be, it's going to curtail you back and say, listen, you're getting to about 20K and being able to pay for that consistently, we're just going to leave the limit right there. But if you're that person that um, uses it the way that we do and you're paying it off as you go, it's a great way for you to really not only build credit but actually build more more points in the process too just don't use it for for entrepreneur roulette yeah and for anyone who's still confused about that entrepreneur roulette or credit card roulette is essentially at the end of the meal you throw all the cards in a hat and have the waitress pick and that person pays for everything yep so uh and i use the amex platinum as well and then i also have a uh american airlines advantage card for miles and i have a uh this one's my actual like main business one, I guess, is the Chase uh, Business Inc. So, yep, that, yep, that's yep. it. Yep, yep, yep. Chase Chase Inc. Yep. All right. What is the dumbest thing you've ever purchased? That's question number two. Hmm. Man, there's so many things. Probably, <laughs> probably, maybe like Hawaiian shirts, for example. I have a bunch of those. I, like I was going to say, no, I think Hawaiian shirts are fun. I don't know. Um, nothing comes to mind when you're a kid, you buy stupid stuff, maybe mm. buying uh, stuff for like buying a guitar when you should be paying rent or maybe uh, going to play poker with your, your rent money and then saying, Oh shit, oops, messed up. <laughs> and now you're like, so here's, here's what had happened. And then you have to go through and figure out what's going on. So. That might All right, be well, it. do you have something you would consider to be the smartest purchase? Mm, what I bring to my wife, my current wife, yeah. Yeah, like that was that. the smartest thing. Yeah, it had it designed. It means a lot to us. The design means she's from Louisiana. We used, um, you know, Florida Lees in it. And then we put very much our entire kind of story in the, the ring. So it looks great on her, obviously. But then when people see it, like... She, we, she gets to tell the story and that means a lot to us. So, yeah. 
That's cool. That's a good answer. I'm I'm anticipating the answer to the dumbest thing. Uh, I want to like keep a running score for how many people say car. Like right though, like, <laughs> I was I realized after I started asking that question, I was like, man, I'm asking a bunch of service members. I'm gonna get a whole bunch of like, oh, my Mustang at 23. Uh, <laughs> percent Yep. But uh, yep. All right. So name a book, podcast, or resource that either made you into a better leader or business person. I keep going back to, um, man, if you guys have not read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, just get it. It's a very easy read. It's very short. But we, we talked about Ryan Holiday. He recommends this book. Um, Tim Ferriss, like any entrepreneur with their salt has read this book. Mm. And this is where Stephen Pressfield talks about the the concept of resistance. Um, this is actually one of the signed copies I have from him. So that's, that means a lot to me, but he talks about this thing called resistance and he capitalizes it. And basically it's anything that we do to sabotage ourselves. So it's like procrastination or like the imposter syndrome or any of that stuff. And he looks at it as this entity that we have to overcome. He's the reason why I capitalize adversity when I speak about it. To, To me, what I was facing was like resistance, but it was much more adversarial and deadly. So for us as entrepreneurs, as leaders, to do the right thing is hard. To fire this person on the holiday is hard. We, we get built up in our mind the decision and then the things we have to do based on that decision. We shouldn't. If this person's not a good fit for the company or they're dropping the ball or they're stealing from us, they don't need to be here, period. I don't care what the date is. I don't care what they have to do. That's on them. Is it going to be a difficult conversation? Yeah. There's your resistance. Doing the, doing the work to to find the right listing, right? To get the right deal, to make sure it does the right thing, to make sure that they go all the way through and they're not trying to cut your fingers off on the table when you're trying to sign the, the, the lost bit of the dotted line. Like there's a million variations on that. But to me, if you can read that book, it will keep you honest. It's like a verbal kick in the ass when you're bullshitting yourself. And I, I read it once a year at least. So yeah, I like it. yeah it's a good word of art, Stephen Pressfield. Yeah. All right. Someone listening to the show, wants to either make or save more money instead of just listening to the next podcast episode after this, what action would you suggest that they take towards that goal? Sell all the bullshit in your house that you don't use. There's a bunch there if you're really honest. And then also if you haven't started a, you know, small savings, 401k, whatever it is, do something that comes out of your paycheck before you feel it because then you have no clue that you're really missing it. The research that they do with um, the, the classic one is with monkeys, right? You have a monkey, you give him one banana and he's happy. If you give him two bananas and take the one away, he's, happy, he's fucking mad as hell. Why? Because he knew what he had, but now he feels it being taken from him. Mm. When we can put these things into, like whether it be an oh shit fund, whatever it is, you're saving up for your first down payment, whatever it is, do that stuff before it, you can even see it. And now all of a sudden that accumulates and that actually builds and helps you out. And again, getting rid of the stuff that you don't use. And I'm not saying that you have to put everything on marketplace, but chances are there's, you know, anywhere from a hundred to thousands of dollars worth of stuff in your house that you're not using or that you don't need. Get rid of that stuff and put that money directly into any of those accounts, any of those things that you're trying to do. I think that people overestimate material things much more. What, what happens? You buy a, 2000 square foot home and you fill it up and then you, you level up and you get a 3,500 square foot home and now you buy more shit to put in there. It's like you only live in about 1500 square foot of your home. Why are we continually buying more things to fill this up and to get a bigger thing? If we're not going to actually use it, that's kind of the way we look at it. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's really sound advice. Uh, there, there's something I'm, I definitely, need to go back to some minimalist roots for sure. And, uh, I love the other part as well. That's one of the reasons that I recommend the thrift savings plan so much mm-hmm. to anyone who's active duty, because you can just set it. I'm like, if you set it while you're in boot camp at 10 or 20%, right. You'll never know that you're missing it. Won't even feel it. Set it, forget it. Yep. Yeah. And then every time you get promoted, you just like, Hey, I got a 3% raise. I'm going to put a 1% bonus on this. I put Another 3% raise, 2% up on this. And by the next thing you know, you're at 30% of your paycheck going into this thing and you didn't even feel it. That's, I mean, that's powerful. Yeah, that's great, great advice. I love both of those items. 
which leads us into the really complicated next question, the final, final, final question of where can people get a hold of you if they'd like to reach out? Oh, man, that's tough. I know, um, it's hard. Well, Marcus, Aurelius, sometimes I ask that question yeah. and people are just like, uh, I should come up with something. And I'm like, <laughs> you should, yes. <laughs> I, I should. Um, so MarcusAureliusAnderson.com is the website. Uh, Marcus Aurelius Anderson on LinkedIn, Instagram, pretty much anywhere. If you want, you go to the website, you'll get a link to my TED Talk, the, the Get to Adversity. Um, that tells a lot of my story. That's free. If you go to the website, if you want to purchase the book, if you want to hire me to come speak to your company, speak at your event, do a workshop for your company, coach you, whatever that is, that's the place that you would find it. And on my podcast, um, Octanon Verba, which David was amazing on there. Um, the goal is for me to find people that are actually living a life based on actions and not words. So people like you, you're actually embodying this. You're not just talking about it. You're actually doing it every day. That's what I'm trying to get people to understand that. Remember, they always talk about, you know, the, the locus to control. And it's like control what you can control and let go of the stuff that you can't. But people get it backwards. They're trying desperately to control all these things that they can't, like the opinion of somebody else or the actions of somebody else or the interpretation of what somebody else is saying. When the only thing we can really take care of in our lives is our thoughts, our beliefs and our actions, period. And if we just quadruple down on those things and let go of the other shit, there's so much more we can get done. But people are usually letting go of their own agency, letting go of their own power in the false attempt to try to control other people's ideas, beliefs, interpretations. And when you let that shit go and stop caring about those other things, people that feel like they're burned out, they're not. They're just working on bullshit they don't care about. When you quadruple down on the stuff that actually is a priority in your life, your life will change. Mm -hmm. If everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority. Quit fucking around, figure out what you want, and go execute. Go get it. Nobody's going to give it to you. You have to go take it. And that, I, I think we call that a mic drop. <laughs> I think that's it right there. That's that's a good ending. I'm going to just rock and roll right there. And Marcus, I'm going to say thank you so much for joining us. It's thank a you, great bro. show. Loved it. Thank you for the opportunity.